Hello, Hopeful. I'm Roger Corville, and this is For the Hope's Daily Audio Bible. Here, we read through the scriptures conversationally, talk about the truth claims of Christianity, and learn to fall more in love with Jesus and the people in His world. Welcome. Do you live for a cause greater than yourself? Do you lay down your life for those you love? Do you fix your mind on Christ, the perfect God-man? Do you lead by example? My friends, the way to get our deepest needs met in this world is to know and follow Jesus into the next world. And that brings us to the next stage of our journey together through the Bible, doing it every single day, reading through every single word, and welcome again from my traveling microphone. Today, we begin the book of Nehemiah in our Old Testament journey, which is the closest thing the Bible has to a leadership lesson, at least in terms of a whole book. And to me, every great leader is also a great follower. In our New Testament reading, though, that's where we're going to start. We're at the point in Luke where the climax to the Christological theme that has been developing through the first part of the gospel is this. The question, who is this? As you're going to hear today, now receives two definitive answers. One from the human witness, Peter, and the other from God himself, which sounds like Uh, Jesus is a good guy to follow, if you ask me. Luke, chapter 9, picking up in verse 1. Summoning the twelve, he gave them power and authority over all the demons and to heal diseases. Then he sent them to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. He told them, take nothing for the road, no staff, no traveling bag, no bread, no money, and don't take an extra shirt. Whatever house you enter, stay there and leave from there. If they do not welcome you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and traveled from village to village, proclaiming the good news and healing everywhere. Herod the Tetrarch heard about everything that was going on. He was perplexed because Some said that John had been raised from the dead. Some said that Elijah had appeared. And others said that one of the ancient prophets had risen. Herod said, I beheaded John, but who is this I hear such things about? And he wanted to see him. When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus all they had done. He took them along and withdrew privately to a town called Bethsaida. When the crowds found out, they followed him, and he welcomed them, spoke to them about the kingdom of God, and healed those who needed healing. Late in the day, the twelve approached and said to him, Send the crowd away so that they can go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find food and lodging, because we're in a deserted place here. You give them something to eat, Jesus told them. We have no more than five loaves and two fish, they said, unless we go and buy food for all these people. For there were about 5,000 men there. Then he told his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. They did what he said and he had them and had them all sit down. And then he took the five loaves and two fish and looking up into heaven, he blessed and broke them. He kept giving them to the disciples to set before the crowd. 
everyone ate and was filled. They picked up twelve baskets of leftover pieces. While he was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, Who did the crowds say that I am? They answered, John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. Still others say that you're one of the ancient prophets that has come back. But you, he asked them, who do you say that I am? Peter answered, God's Messiah. But Jesus strictly warned and instructed them to tell this to no one, saying, It is necessary that the Son of Man suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and scribes, be killed, and be raised on the third day. And then he said to them all, If anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me will save it. For what does it benefit someone if he gains the whole world and yet loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory, and that of the Father and the holy angels. Truly I tell you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. About eight days after this conversation, he took along Peter, John, and James and went up on the mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah. They appeared in glory and were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. Peter and those with him were in a deep sleep, and when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who were standing with him. As the two men were departing from him, Jesus or Peter said to Jesus, Master, it's good for us to be here. Let us set up three shelters for you, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And he said this, not knowing what he was saying. While he was saying this, a cloud appeared and overshadowed them. They became afraid as they entered the cloud, and then a voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son, the chosen one. Listen to him. After the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. They kept silent, and at that time told no one what they had seen. Well, I imagine so. My friends, the deepest, uh, the way to get our deepest needs met in this world is to know and follow Jesus into the next world. And that gets us to our Old Testament reading where it's perhaps useful to truly ask ourselves, do you live for a cause greater than yourself? Do you lay down your life for those you love? Now, the book of Nehemiah is like an extension of Ezra. In many ways, it speaks for itself. So we're just going to get started Nehemiah chapter 1. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, during the month of Chislev in the 20th year, when I was in the fortress city of Susa, Han and I, one of my brothers, arrived with men from Judah, and I questioned them about Jerusalem and the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile. They said to me, the remnant of, in the province who survived the exile are in great trouble and disgrace. Jerusalem's wall has been broken down, and its gates have been burned. 
When I heard these words, I sat down and wept. I mourned for a number of days, fasting and praying before the God of heavens. And I said, Lord, the God of the heavens, the great and awe-inspiring God who keeps his gracious covenant with those who love him and keep his commands, let your eyes be open and your ears be attentive to hear your servant's prayer that I now pray to you day and night for your servants, the Israelites. I confess the sins we have committed against you. Both I and my father's family have sinned. We have acted corruptly toward you and have not kept the commands, statutes, and ordinances you gave your servant Moses. Please remember what you commanded your servant Moses when you said, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and carefully observe my commands, even though your exiles were banished to the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place where I chose to have my name dwell. They are your servants and your people. You redeemed them by your great power and strong hand. Please, Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to that of your servants who delight to revere your name. Give your servant success today and grant him compassion in the presence of this man. At the time, I was the king's cupbearer. During the month of Nisan in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was set before him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I, I had never been sad in his presence. So the king said to me, Why do you look so sad when you aren't sick? There is nothing but sadness of heart. I was overwhelmed with fear and replied to the king, May the king live forever. Why should I not be sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Then the king asked me, What is your request? So I prayed to the God of the heavens and answered the king, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor with you, send me to Judah and to the city where my ancestors are buried, so that I may rebuild it. The king, with the queen seated beside him, asked me, How long will your journey take, and when will you return? So I gave him a definite time, and it pleased the king to send me. I also said to the king, If it pleases the king, let me have written letters to the governors of the region west of the Euphrates River, so that they will grant me safe passage until I reach Judah. And then let me have a letter written to Asaph, keeper of the king's forest, so that he will give me timber to rebuild the gates of the temple's fortress, the city wall, and the home where I will live. The king granted my requests, for the gracious hand of my God was on me. I went to the governors of the region west of the Euphrates and gave them the king's letters. The king had also sent officers of the infantry and cavalry with me. And when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard that someone had come to pursue the prosperity of the Israelites, they were greatly displeased. After I arrived in Jerusalem and had been there three days, I got up at night and took a few men with me. I didn't tell anyone what my God had laid on my heart to do for Jerusalem. The only animal I took was the one I was riding, and I went out at night through the valley gate toward the serpent's well and, and the dung gate, and I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that had been broken down and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. 
I went on to the fountain gate and the king's pool, but farther down it became too narrow for my animal to go through. So I went up at night by way of the valley and inspected the wall. Then, heading back, I entered through the valley gate and returned, and the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing, for I had not yet told the Jews, priests, nobles, officials, or the rest of those who would be doing the work. So I said to them, You see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been burned. Come, let's rebuild Jerusalem's wall so that we will no longer be a disgrace. I told them how the gracious hand of my father had been on me and what the king had said to me, and they said, Let's start rebuilding. And their hands were strengthened to do this good work. When Sanballat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite official, and Geshem the Arab heard about this, they mocked us and despised us and said, What is this you're doing? Are you rebelling against the king? I gave them this reply. The God of the heavens is the one who will grant me success. We, his servants, will start building, but you have no share, no right, or historic claim in Jerusalem. The high priest Eliashib and his fellow priests began rebuilding the sheep gate. They dedicated it and installed its doors, and after building the wall to the Tower of the Hundred and the Tower of Hananel, they dedicated it. The men of Jericho built next to Eliashib, and next to them, Zachar, son of Imri, built. The sons of Hanasseh, uh, Hassanah, built the fish gate. They built it with beams and installed its doors, bolts, and bars. Next to them, Merimoth, son of Uriah, son of Hakaz, made repairs. Beside them, Meshulam, son of Barakai, son of Meshezabel, made repairs. Next to them, Zadok, son of Baana, made repairs. Beside them, the Tegoites made repairs, but their nobles didn't lift a finger to help their, imp- their supervisors. Joida, son of Paseah, and Meshulam, son of Besodea repaired the old gate. They built it with beams and installed its doors, bolts, and bars. Next to them, the repairs were done by Melatiah, the Gibeonite, Jaden, the Maranathite, and the men of Gibeon and Mitzvah, who were under the authority of the governor of the region west of the Euphrates River. After him, Uziel, son of Hariah, the goldsmith, made repairs. And next to him, Hananiah, son of the perfumer, made repairs. They restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. Next to them, Rephiah, son of Hur, ruler of half the district of Jerusalem, made repairs. After them, Jediah, son of Haram, Haramaf, made repairs across from his house. Next to him, Hattush, son of Hashabaniah, made repairs. Malkajah, son of Harim, and Hashub, son of Pahath Moab, made repairs to another section, as well as the Tower of the Ovens. Beside him, Shalom, son of Halanash, ruler of half the district of Jerusalem, made repairs. He and his daughters. Hanan and the inhabitants of Zenoa repaired the valley gate, and they rebuilt it and installed its doors, bolts, and bars, repaired 500 yards of the wall to the dung gate. Malkajah, son of Rechab, ruler of the district of beth Hakaram, repaired the dung gate. He rebuilt it and installed its do- doors, bolts, and bars. Shalon, son of Kolhoza, ruler of the district of Mitzpah, repaired the fountain gate. He rebuilt it and roofed it. Then he installed its doors, bolts, and bars. He also made repairs to the wall of the pool of Shelah, near the king's garden, as far as the stairs that descend from the city of David. After him, Nehemiah, son of Azbuk, ruler of the half-district of Bethzur, 
made repairs up to the point opposite the tombs of David, as far as the artificial pool and the house of the warriors. Next to him, the Levites made repairs under Rehem, son of Bani. Beside him, Hashabiah, ruler of the half-district of Kela, made repairs for his district. After him, their fellow Levites made repairs under the under Binui, son of Henadad, ruler of the half-district of Kela. And next to him, Ezer, son of Jeshua, ruler of Mitzpah, made repairs to another section opposite the ascent to the armory at the angle. Not too much farther. Hanan and the inhabitants of Zenoa repaired the valley gate. They rebuilt it and installed its doors, bolts, and bars and repaired 500 yards of the wall to the dung gate. After him, Baruch, son of Zabai, diligently repaired another section from the angle to the door of the house of the high priest Eliashib. Beside him, Merimoth, son of Uriah, son of Hakaz, made repairs to another section from the door of Eliashib's house to the end of his house. And next to him, the priests from the surrounding area made repairs. After them, Benjamin and Hashub made repairs opposite their house. Beside them, Azariah, son of Messiah, son of Ananiah, made repairs beside his house. After him, Benui, son of Hanadad, made repairs to another section, from the house of Azariah to the angle and the corner. Palal, son of Uzai, made repairs opposite the angle and the tower that juts out from the king's upper palace by the courtyard of the guard. Beside him, Padaeus, son of Parosh, and the temple servants living in Ophel, made repairs opposite the water gate toward the east and the tower that juts out. Next to him, the Tekoites made repairs to another section from a point opposite the great tower that juts out as far as the wall of Ophel. All right, last little section. Each of the priests made repairs above the horse gate, each opposite his own house. After them, Zadok, son of Immer, made repairs opposite his house, and beside him, Shemaiah, son of Shechaniah, guard of the east gate, made repairs. Next to him, Hananiah, son of Shelemiah, and Hanan, the sixth son of Zalaf, made repairs to another section. After them, Meshulam, son of Barakiah, made repairs opposite his room. Next to him, Malkijah, one of the goldsmiths, made repairs to the house op- of the temple of S- servants and the merchants opposite the inspection gate, and as far as the upstairs room on the corner, the goldsmiths, and merchants made repairs between the upstairs and the corner and the sheep gate. All right, my friends. It's probably useful if we were going to sum up all of that to go the, to remember this. Those who love God and his kingdom will study the Bible, pray, and do everything they can to advance the gospel, all while summoning others to do the same. This is kind of like going, hey, is there a lesson in here for us? And the truth, goodness, and beauty of God on display in the gospel is worth more than all our petty little causes, more than our personal luxuries and advantages, and more than our very lives. And interestingly, in Nehemiah's example, Nehemiah gave credit to others, listing what each had been assigned and what each had built. So there's a leadership lesson in that mess that we just finished up with. Today we wrap up with a wisdom segment, Proverbs twelve, twenty-two to 24. Lying lips are detestable to the Lord, but faithful people are his delight. A shrewd person conceals knowledge, but a foolish heart publicizes stupidity. The diligent hand will rule, but laziness will lead to forced labor. Father, let me just leave with a prayer. Uh, Lord, I didn't read so well today, so I pray that the power of your word, the power of your spirit will speak to us 
even uh, when I didn't really help out the cause. I love you, my friends. Amen. Amen.